kind of think we ought to do another worship time here after that, and that's what it's about, how great God is. Galatians chapter number 6, we'll dismiss our children to the children's ministry as we turn to Galatians chapter number 6. And tonight at 5, we'll have our evening service, and we'll be casting the vision for this upcoming year, a review of um, this past year, and we'll have some... Uh, some things to give out as we often try to do and I hope it'll be a blessing. Galatians chapter number 6. Let's go ahead and stand together if we can. And we'll begin our reading in verse number 6. This final chapter of Paul's giving to the Galatian believers their responsibilities. He talked about burdens what to do with your own burden, what to do with other people's burdens, how to restore someone who's been overtaken in a sin burden. And uh, now he's moving into um, what, what I would say it seems like he's changing gears here as he brings this to a close. But we're going to look at verse 6 through verse number uh, 10 here this morning. Verse 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Notice verse number 9, probably the more familiar verse in all this chapter. Let's look at it and let's say it together out loud. Galatians 6 and verse 9 together. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Someone asked a pastor one day why a church can experience real revival but be so soon back to self-focus and, and get their eyes and mind off of things of God and start slacking off and drifting once again. And I thought the pastor's response was a good response. He said, well, one reason is that good people get tired in doing good more than bad people get tired in doing bad. Good people do get tired in doing good. How's your revival doing, your personal revival? I want to preach this morning on this thought. It's always too soon to quit. Amen. It's always too soon to quit. Thank you. Please be seated. Just like any passage, there's a big context, a big idea, a big picture to understand what we're going to look at this morning about this matter of not getting weary and well-doing, not quitting, we have to at least understand the context that Paul put this in. And as I mentioned, it seems like he shifts gears a little bit, but he's speaking concerning the responsibility of church leadership, the pastor, teacher, as well as those who are hearing and receiving from the pastor teacher. So he deals with the responsibility of the pastors that the pastor has in teaching, and he also deals with the responsibility of the receivers of that particular truth. And I don't want to spend much time on this, but it is the context, 
And so it is my responsibility, especially if he's going to focus on the teaching aspect, that I've got to be true to that, but it's part of the text. And so this is not our text, it's God's text. As a pastor, I must expound the Word of God. All preaching, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the command to preach the Word, all preaching contains Bible teaching. Not all teaching consists of Bible preaching, but all preaching does consist, if it's Bible preaching, it consists of teaching. And the role of the pastor, teacher, is not to entertain, it's not to use gimmicks to attract people so that you can watch the performance, but rather it is a command that I'm given to proclaim truth. Again, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. I am commanded by God to preach the word. It's also because of the fact that's what you need to hear. You need word. You need God's word. You need truth. I want Canaan to be what I believe God wants it to be, and that is a Bible-saturated church. And to be sure, teaching is not the only thing that Canaan does. It's not our only responsibility. However, we can never pit one responsibility against another. We can be Bible-saturated and perform other responsibilities to the widows or, or to the children or whatever the need might be. But all of this comes out of and should come out of the overflow of a Bible-saturated heart. And remember, this is in context of chapter 5, talking about being filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit. And so a Spirit-led church is a Bible-saturated preaching and teaching church. Well, that's responsibility that a pastor has in communicating truth. But then there's a responsibility of the receiver, those who hear the truth. Obviously, as a hearer and a recipient of truth, you should listen. You should learn the truth. Why? So you can live the truth. And those should be obvious and given, but it's not always. And it's not going to be automatic. It's never going to be just automatically you're listening on purpose. If that were true, God would not have said, He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Listen so you can learn, so that you can live it. And he's saying, make it personal. But however, Paul focused on the responsibility here of the receiver's responsibility in sharing, referring to good things monetarily to church leadership. And so he's talking about mainly material support monetarily. And I will say that Canaan Baptist has been uh, just exceeding and abundantly above all that I could ask or think and as well as the previous pastors when it comes to being taken care of, and that's not by accident. Um, Brother Autry, the deacons, have been very deliberate and careful in making sure that we're taken care of. Now, there's a reason for that, and the reason that Paul's dealing with this is not ultimately so that it's about money. That's not his focus. His focus is so that we can maintain a Bible-saturated culture of a church. 
And we, I don't have to have the burden of going out and getting another job and doing other things and have a divided focus. And I'm allowed the opportunity, the great privilege to serve the Lord, serve the people of God in this capacity. And so I don't want to spend time on that part of it, but that is the context of what he's dealing with. I just say, I thank the Lord. I thank Canaan Baptist Church. I thank the deacons. I thank the church family for taking such good care of your pastor. I thank the Lord for this. But I want to say with that in mind, there is, um, I am fully aware, and there is a, a need and a potential for abuse in this area on the part of a pastor. And so I'm well aware. I'm well aware of the the areas that can be abused. I've seen it, and I know the tendency can be there, such as um, there must always be the challenge of avoiding laziness. The ministry is a place where one can hide their laziness. Ministers are often unsupervised most of the day. The temptation could be not to work very hard. Um, it's easy to receive a salary, enjoy the security um, while sewing and sweating very little. That tendency could be, is there. But that is, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, that's not living above reproach. And so it is a very serious matter. Another factor that could be abused is the area of greed. When you enter the ministry, most understand or should understand, if they don't, they're going to, is, uh, is the fact that you're not going to get wealthy in the ministry. And that's not the design, unless you go the, 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 the TV route, I guess, and all the other things there, the, the name it, claim it, grab it, blab it, whatever that, that group may be. But again, it can be easy to fall into the temptation Paul warned about in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9 which to, to acquire possessions and, and you fall into uh, foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, he says. And so, and, and by the way, you don't often hear, not often, you don't often hear pastors as they get older feeling called to lower paying positions in the next phase of their life because the tendency is there to just keep adding more, adding more to the coffers. There's a danger. There's a third danger that comes to my mind, and that is must always guard not just against laziness, not only against the matter of greed, but it must always guard against the falling prey to ministerial professionalism. It's not to be confused with excellence or the spirit of excellence. We ought to strive for that because of how great God is. But there is a temptation to treat a vocation like ministry like a career. This is not a career. This is a calling. What would you do if you didn't get paid? Do it anyway. And someone says, well, we've got another plan here, then we can just not pay. Uh, that's, that's up to you. I'm taken care of by God. Um, and you didn't call me, God did. And so, you know, don't, you, you, you settle that with him. This is not a clock in, clock out profession. This is a calling that is a 24-hour, never stops, never ends. 
See, when you have this clock in, clock out mindset, there's no passion. There's no desperate prayer. There's no deep love for people. And all that while serving with a pasted smile and a, a pious words, that's ministerial professionalism. And there's no place for that in the ministry. And so I'm just simply saying the, the context here is talking about, about giving. And, and, um, and I, just, I don't want to focus on that part. I want to get to why that passage is there, why that verse is there of not getting weary and well-doing. And it's in conjunction with this. And by the way, why should you want to take care of your pastor? Well, it should not just be because I'm obligated to or tradition says so. It ought to be because we love the Word of God and we want to see it spread and saturate us and go from here throughout the ends of the earth. But let's jump to this matter of Galatians 6 and verse 7 through 9. He's motivating the people here to live for God with an agriculture, agricultural allegory. The central phrase would be this, we shall reap, verse number nine. For in due season, we shall reap. We should not get weary from doing good. Why? Because we will reap. When? Due season. Due season is when it's going to happen. And so he's giving a message to those who are weary. Do you feel weary? Some of you look weary. Some of you always look weary. Sometimes your weariness isn't so much the weariness that comes from doing good. It's weariness because you're not stopping doing bad. The way of the transgressor is hard. Yeah. But he says, I have a message for those who are weary. What is it? Hold on. Harvest is coming. The weight may seem unbearable, but the harvest is coming. The grass may be greener on the other side of the fence, but harvest is coming. The land may seem barren. The seed may seem powerless. The weeds may seem unstoppable, but harvest is coming. Remember the song, Sowing in the Morning? Sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontime and in the dewy eve, waiting for the harvest and the time of reaping when we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. So what do we do in the meantime? Let's look at it. Number one, notice in verse number seven. Be not deceived, God's not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Number one, keep doing good. Keep doing good. Keep doing good. He gives a word of warning here in verses 7 through 9, and he's giving us this word of warning, and in this he gives us the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatsoever man soweth. In other words, you will harvest what you plant. You will harvest what you plant. Now there's three parts to this principle of sowing and reaping. Number one, we sow and we reap. We plant and we harvest in kind. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
Listen, you will not reap something other than what you have sown. The thief will be robbed. The deceiver will be deceived. The cheater will be cheated. The giver will be given to. Proverbs 18, 24, man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Why? Because you always harvest what you plant. Example, Genesis chapter 27 through chapter 29, we find the story of Jacob. He deceived his father, Isaac, um, with a hairy goat skin to try to come across like his twin brother Esau. Jacob wanted what? He wanted God's blessing. How? By cheating, by lying. Jacob wanted Esau's birthright blessing, wealth and blessing due that was to the older brother. And after successful deception, he ran to Uncle Laban and he fell in love with Laban's youngest daughter, beautiful Rachel. He worked seven years for her. Then on the wedding day, he got tricked and married Leah instead. You know what he did? He reaped what he sowed. And that also tells you the trouble you get into when you're always wearing a mask. And uh, that's what happened there. But anyway, you. We sow and we reap in kind. But then we sow and reap in time. That's the second principle. Everyone will reap what they sow. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what what you sow. See, what you sow in youthful days, you may not reap until older years. And what you sow in time, you may not reap rather in, until eternity, but you will reap what you sow. You will. You say, no, I won't. Yes, you will. And you say, I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't believe it. It doesn't matter whether you see it or believe it. God says that's what's going to happen. And just you'd be wiser to listen to what God says. Years ago, a man wrote to the editor of a newspaper saying, I'm not a Christian. I blaspheme the name of God. I work on Sundays. I do not give tithes or offerings to the work of the Lord. I do not even go to church. I'm a successful farmer. Here it is, October. We're getting ready to reap our crop. And I have better crops than all the so-called Christian friends that I have. How do you answer and explain that? But the editor of the paper answered and said in the newspaper this, quote, God doesn't always settle his accounts in October. But you will reap in time. God always settles his account. Payday will come someday. And every man will reap according to God's time frame. Remember the Egyptians decreed? that all male infants of the Hebrew children were to be put to death. You remember that? All those Democrats voted, and 80 years the Egyptians prospered. Yet the sowing and reaping principle happened in God's time. Exactly 80 years after the Hebrew children were put to death, God poured out the plagues on the land of Egypt, and the 10th plague saw the death of angel come and every firstborn child in Egypt was slain. What happened? They reaped in God's time. You will reap what you sow. You will harvest what you plant. 
in God's time. Let me give you another illustration. I've given this years ago, but it sticks in my mind and has for several decades. Evangelist Oliver B. Green. How many recognize the name Oliver B. Green? He made an interesting statement. He's now in heaven. He made an interesting statement just months before he went home to be with the Lord. He said that he did not believe that God would even allow him to see his 70th birthday because he had dishonored his parents as a young man and he was disrespectful. He was right. He died short of his 70th birthday in his 69th year. God allowed him to see 69 years of life and many fruitful years of ministry, but God took him home just short of three score and ten. That testimony always stuck with me. In his autobiography entitled From Disgrace to Grace, he gives the story of his life as the black sheep of a respectable, respectable family before and after his conversion. Let me read you some of the quotes. Honoring father and mother in the Lord has a promise along with it. I am sure I will die at an early age if Jesus tarries. I will not live to be an old man. From the time I was nine years old until I was 19, I did not honor and respect my parents. I broke my father's heart. I put him in an early grave. I robbed him of his money and of his wealth. I dishonored him to the extent that I brought reproach and disgrace upon his name. I was known as the black sheep of the green family because of my wretched living. I was not welcome in some homes where other young people were. Since I did not honor my parents, I lost the promise of long life upon this earth. You children who have no respect for your Christian parents who are breaking their hearts by the things you do, the places you go, the company you keep, you mark it well. You will not live to a ripe old age because honoring godly parents promises long life and blessings on the earth. If you are deliberately disobeying godly parents, rest assured that you will reap what you are sowing. All will one day reap what they sow. You will do it in kind. Exactly what you plant is what you will harvest. You'll do it in time. It's not your time, it's God's time. But there's a third aspect to that principle. We sow and reap in increase. Increase. That is, you'll always reap more than what you sowed. You'll always harvest more than you planted. Hosea 8 and verse 7, for they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It's true in the physical realm. The largest living thing on earth, I am told, is the giant sequoia redwoods. So large that it takes, in some instances, 30 men joining hands to go around the base of the tree, which can stand up to 190 feet tall, and you see a picture of that on the screen. Yet this tree comes from a tiny seed, no bigger than the seed of an orange. That's true in the spiritual realm as well, positive and negative. What's the determining factor as to what you're going to harvest or what you're going to reap? It all depends upon what you're sowing. 
In a real sense, you're determining your tomorrow by what you're planting today. You get in the will of God today, you'll be in the right place tomorrow. You reap what you sow. So he's giving us a, a word to the, um, uh, here, th this first element. He's speaking to us a word of warning concerning sowing and reaping. In verse number eight, however, he gives a word to the worker. Notice in verse number eight, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth through the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. It's a word to the worker. In other words, the emphasis of verse number seven, be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse number seven, he's really putting the emphasis upon God's sovereignty. Don't be deceived. You can't hoodwink God. You can't pull one over on God. But verse number eight, he's talking now of our responsibility, sowing. It's not the reapers who decide what the harvest will be like. The farmer doesn't go out when it's time to harvest and reap. He doesn't determine what he's going to reap. The sowers determine that. It's what you do. It's what you plant. You don't have any control over the harvest after you plant, but you control the harvest by what you plant. Since all of us will reap what we sow, it's important that we sow in the right field. There's only two fields. According to this passage, it's the field of your flesh or it's the field of the spirit. The field of the flesh, notice in verse number eight, for he that soweth to his, say the word, flesh. What is that? Your old sinful patterns of living, your old habits of life, your old ways of thinking and acting, the part of you that desires your own way and wants to do your own thing. It's the part of you that's constantly causing you to sin. And he says, you, you plant in that arena. Guess what? You're going to reap in that arena. Sowing to the flesh is to allow its evil desires and actions to dominate you. You know why some of you want to do wrong? is because that's where you're sowing. Harboring a grudge. Refusing to forgive. Entertaining an impure thought. Maintaining your gripe and bitterness. Controlling, manipulating a situation or people. Attempting to escape reality through drugs or alcohol. Or denying reality by just hoping it'll go away. Or whenever we develop a critical attitude, being nitpicky, being prejudiced, complaining, refusing to take a stand and remain passive, lingering in bad company, entertain pornography or other vile, sinful aspects of media. He says you sow to the, to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Well, look at it. You sow to your flesh, shall of the flesh reap, what is it? Corruption. Corruption. What is that? It means decay. You're going to reap morally spiritual rottenness. When we choose to embrace a fleshly pattern of living, whether an attitude or action, you start to spiritually decay. Good goes to bad, bad goes to worse. Ernest Hemingway, recognize the name? For those of you awake, the famous author, he grew up in a solid, evangelical Christian home. Did you know that? His grandparents were missionaries. His father was a devoted 
church man and his best friends was best friends with the evangelist D.L. Moody. Yet Hemingway was active in church up until his early 20s. He put on a show, he played the part, he endured, he tolerated. But during the First World War, Ernest Hemingway began sowing to the flesh. And as a result, he reaped the flesh's corruption. He's soon become famous for mocking God and, and God's purity. He eventually considered the ideas of the Bible antiquated, outdated, useless for modern man, and even a hindrance to his very own pleasure. He, Ernest Hemingway, declared that his own life was living proof that a man does not reap what he sows. In a mocking way, Ernest Hemingway wrote a parody on the Lord's Prayer. He wrote, Our Nada, who art in Nada, hallowed be thy Nada. But in spite of his boasting, Hemingway, like you and me, will reap, and he reaped exactly what he sowed. But he reaped more than he sowed. In the same field that he sowed, in his flesh, and his flesh did its corrupting work. Ernest Hemingway amassed fame and fortune, but he became a chronic alcoholic, married four times, and he said regarding his very own life, I live in a vacuum that is as lonely as a radio tube when the batteries are dead and there's no current to plug into. On a sunny Sunday afternoon, Ernest Hemingway put a bullet into his own head and took his own life. Why? Because the Bible said so. Amen. When you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Not in your time, but in due time. Or you can sow to the Spirit. Notice what it says in verse 8. He, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life. Everlasting. He's not talking about salvation. Everlasting life is not just quantitative. It's qualitative. Sowing to the Spirit is the same as walking in the Spirit in chapter number 5. Every time we forgive a grievance, every time we reject impure thoughts, every time we rise above self-pity, every time we leave bad company, every time we refuse bad media, every time we practice self-control, we're sowing to the Spirit. And when we make those daily choices to sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life, abundant life, quantitative, qualitative. In other words, there's always the results to our sowing. There's always results to our planting. It's God's law. And you cannot be the exception. No person has ever been the exception. You cannot get around it. You put this down. Whatever you sow, regardless of what it is, you will reap. You will. You want to have a, a cocky attitude? You're going to reap corruption. You want to shoot off your mouth? You will reap corruption. You want to do your own thing? You will reap corruption. Verse number nine. He now gives a word to the weary. He gave us a word in verse seven of warning. Verse number eight, a word to the worker. Verse number nine, he gives a word to the weary. 
You know what, Paul, he gives us all the, the things we need to know about sowing and re reaping. The principle, you're going to sow in kind, you're going to sow in time, you're going to sow in increase. But he's also assuming that Christians are wanting to do good. Notice in verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Verse number 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. So he's assuming we want to do good. God's people desire to do good. And now while verse 9 does not command us to do good, it does command us this. Don't stop doing good. In other words, we should be expected to do right. We should be expected to be faithful. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. He's saying, don't stop. There is a time to plant and a time to pluck. There is a, also an in-between time. That in-between time between planting and plucking, that in-between time is when we get tired. You cultivate your land, you plant your seed, but you can't come out the next day and bring up the harvest. It takes many long days of sunshine, many wet nights of rainfall before anything breaks the ground. And when the reward does not follow the investment as quickly as we think it should, we're prone to become tired in doing good. One writer said many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. So verse 9, what I think Paul's confronting is our childish tendency to expect it all to, to happen right now. That's our society's mindset. I want it now. I want it cheap. I want it on credit. This verse does not command us to pretend we're bionic Christians. We're human beings. We're going to grow weary. Even Paul grew weary and tired. But what he's saying is, while we're doing good, don't get weary in well-doing. It doesn't say we get weary of doing good. You can always have a heart for God, but you let the weariness overtake you. You stop doing the good that he says ought to continue. The verse commands us not to grow weary of doing what is good. Do not grow weary of doing what is right. Do not grow weary of doing what is pleasing to the Lord. Some years ago during a Monday night football game, many years ago now, it was between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants. One of the announcers observed that Walter Payton, the Chicago Bears Hall of Fame running back, he had accumulated, I thought this was interesting, over nine miles of rushing yards in play in, in total career rushing yards, nine miles. Well, the other commentator responded to that incredible statistic by saying, yeah. And that's with someone knocking him down every 4.6 yards. See, if you want to go the distance when life knocks you down, you've got to get up and not quit. Amen. Number one, keep on doing good. Number two. Know that the harvest is coming in due season. How do we keep on doing good? Know that the harvest is coming in due season. The Bible contains promises all throughout, thousands of promises. 
And what God is telling us is, hang on. Don't quit. Let my promises come to fruition in your life. The first promise is Genesis 3 and verse number 15. The last promise is found in Revelation 22 and verse number 3. D.L. Moody said, let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he will not talk about how poor he is. If you would spend a month feeding on the precious promises of God, you wouldn't be going about complaining. You would lift up your head and proclaim the riches of God's grace because you couldn't help it. Spurgeon said, the great Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon said, many people are born crying, live complaining, and die disappointed. Why? Because they chew the bitter pill, which they would not even know to be bitter if they had the sense to swallow it whole in a cup of patience and water. What happens? You just get independent of God. You get sideways. You've figured everything out. But the problem is you're not God. In the realm of agriculture, you can chart the coming harvest. You can look up when should this plant bloom, when should this crop come to fruition. In the realm of spiritual agriculture, however, you cannot chart the coming of the harvest. But here's what you can chart, that God says the harvest is coming. You know, it takes some time to develop a Christ-like character. It takes time to grow a healthy church. It takes time to build a mature relationship. It takes time to raise responsible children. It takes time to establish a a, uh, productive walk with God. It takes time to reach worthwhile goals. It takes time to affect positive change. We live in a society, as I mentioned, with two passions. I want it all and I want it now. I want it all and I want it now. But planted seed does not bear fruit overnight. It's not going to happen. In God's infinite wisdom, He set up seasons of the soul. As a result, harvest may not come in a hurry. You may be in a hurry, but God's not. It may not even come to fruition in this life. But it will come. Waiting on God time is never wasted time. He says it'll happen in due season. Due. You know, God's given you your own specialized season for reaping. The good that you're doing, God's given you, it's tailored to you, your own due season. Don't quit. You have a specialized, tailored, suited to you. This is not in general. Canaan Baptist Church due season doesn't work that way. They're individual due season. If you don't quit, you have a specialized season of your soul. Listen, waiting on God is not wasting time. Due season. Let me give you this last thought. As a result of this, Of what? Number one, keep on doing good. Number two, know that the harvest is coming in due season. Number three, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Notice again, verse number nine, let us not be weary in well-doing and doing right, doing good. 
For, here's the reason, in due season, we shall reap if you don't give up. If you don't faint. The term faint means to relax. It's a worker in the field who loosens his belt out of fatigue or frustration. Don't slack up. Don't give up. Don't give in. All of us will be tempted to grow weary of doing good. All of us will be tempted to give up. All of us will be tempted to yield to life's quitting points. But don't miss the magnitude of this conditional statement. There is only one thing that can stop you from reaping the harvest in due season. The only way you can miss your harvest is if you faint, you lose heart, you give up. Satanic attacks cannot stop me from reaping my harvest. No, no, they can't. Difficult circumstances cannot stop me from reaping my harvest. Inadequate resources cannot stop me from reaping my harvest. Hostile people cannot stop me from reaping my harvest. Vicious lies cannot stop me from reaping my harvest. Not even personal failure can stop me from reaping my harvest. The only thing that can stop me and stop you from reaping the harvest is if you lose heart give up and walk away. But if you'll stand, you stand on the promises of God and the will of God, nothing can stop you from reaping the good that's been planted. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Let me close with this thought illustration. His name was Gentleman Jim Corbett. I've spoken of him before years ago. He's an Irish-American heavyweight boxing champion who held the title for five years at the end of the 19th century. He once said this, I love this, fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding, your eyes are black, and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who fights one more round is never whipped. In other words, never give up, never give in, Never quit. Let's stand together, please.